If you would, turn with me to Psalm 24. Psalm 24. On this Christ the King Sunday, this last Sunday of Pentecost. And uh, truly, for the church calendar, it's the last, um, it's the last day of the, of the year. We start over with Advent next week. So, it's, uh, it's a very special time. This is the, the end, but also a new beginning. And so, let's look at Psalm 24 as we begin this morning. Maybe a psalm that you have, uh, have, have simply overlooked, but, but nonetheless is a very powerful one surrounded by really two other beautiful psalms. Notice this, what is said here in Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and the world and those who dwell therein. For He has founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the waters, rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Selah. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Let us pray. Jesus, thank You for Your holy Word. Lord, now would You bless this reading of Your Word and our hearing and our response to it. We pray in Your name. Amen. Psalm 24 is located uh, next to, at least proximity-wise, to two other psalms that are very well known, Psalm 22 and Psalm 23, which precede it. Psalm 22 deals with uh, the Scripture that Jesus actually quotes from the cross by saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the way the psalm actually begins. And it, 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 it unfolds as a very detailed account of the crucifixion. Now, even in this psalm, mentioning his hands and feet being pierced, which crucifixion wasn't even invented in the time that David wrote this. Uh, so this is a prophetic psalm. It is one that starts off bad And most of it is a lament, but at the very end of the psalm, in Psalm 22, it rises to where because of what this one person has done, everybody in the world will know what he has done and it will be salvation to them and they will come to this one. So it actually ends on a note of hope and proclamation. And then you move right into Psalm 23. And Psalm 23 is, of course, uh, a psalm that has comforted many over the years. It's used, it's probably the most used passage at funerals. You know, if you go to a funeral, you're going to probably hear this passage quoted, the Lord is my shepherd. And that image even of the Lord being a shepherd, God being our shepherd, 
is one that just for us brings comfort. You know, it, it's fascinating to look through the Scriptures and see how many shepherds God actually does use. Uh, Abel was a shepherd. You remember that Abraham was a shepherd. You remember too that Moses shepherded uh, sheep for 40 years on the backside of the desert. Uh, and not only that, the greatest of Israelite kings, David, was a shepherd. And so God uses these shepherds. So it's no, it's no coincidence that when we begin to celebrate Advent, Christmas, that one of the people that makes it into the manger scene, the nativity scene, is actually who? Shepherds. Shepherds. And then we come to Psalm 24, which is a powerful, what we call, royal psalm. It's a psalm that deals with the fact that God is the King. And this is something that David understood. David was king of Israel, and yet he understood that he was not ultimate. You know, in the ancient world, if you were a king, you saw yourself as divine. Not just descended from the divine, but that what you said and did was actually divinity. And many of them even took the names of different gods and were worshipped. Uh, for instance, in... Even in the early church in the first century and second century, there were certain emperors that would demand Caesar worship and you would burn incense to them. We even are told in Daniel, which we've already read a portion of that earlier, of how a king there demanded they pray only to him. So in the ancient world, it wasn't unusual for the king to be seen as a shepherd, but also to be seen as divine. But David makes the distinction here in this psalm that he is not divine. He's king, yes. He's shepherd over the people, yes. But there is a shepherd above him. There is a king that rules over even him. And notice the way he begins here. The earth, not the heavens, which is where we normally think of God and place God's rulership. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell therein. And, and, and interestingly, he founds this. Now, so why is he the Lord of all this? Because he founded upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Which really doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? If you're going to build a city, you're going to do it on the ground. You're going to do it on the rock. Even the Scripture talks about building on sand or building on the rock. Here it's upon the seas. It's upon the waters, which only God could have done. Now we're not just talking about plate tectonics or groundwater that comes under. You know, there's a, uh, in my old office they redid it and put an put a underground uh, basement in there. And what they ran into was the fact that there were literally rivers running underneath streams and rivers, all kinds of stuff running underneath there so that when they dug under the ground, all they found was these waters. And they end up having to pull it back up and not, not complete it. You know, it doesn't make a lot of sense for us to have a foundational water, but here's what's fascinating about the Bible. The Bible begins with a picture of the Spirit hovering over the face of the waters, the deep. The Spirit of God in verse 2 of chapter 1 of Genesis. Not only that, you have the floodwaters that come and destroy all life but those in the ark. Shows us really how easy it is to dismantle this world with water. I mean, the sea has always been 
a point of consternation for ancient people. Even for our own time. We've seen what water can do. We've seen what hurricanes can do and, and, uh, and, and storms out at sea. Not only that, you have water being found as one of the elements in our world of fire, earth, water. And it, by many, is the most powerful. You know, even today, we have... I watched one of those modern shows where it's showing some new invention. And the way they actually can defuse bombs now is to do an explosion of water into the bomb so that it just simply diffuses the bomb with water, with high-pressured water. And uh, I would have never thought of something like that, but that's exactly how they diffuse it. Just pouring fast-paced water all over it, just inundating it with water. Water is one of the most powerful things in our world, and this is what God has built His foundation upon, is this water. And not only that, if you think about our Christian life, it's founded on the waters of baptism. This is where we get our beginning in the Christian life with all of the benefits of the church is with baptism. Baptism by water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And later on in Revelation, we're told that there will be one day a river of life, a crystal sea, not one that's tumultuous, but one that is crystal clear and a river that leads to the tree of life that bears good fruit. Water is a powerful tool in God's world. He has founded this world, His majesty, His kingship upon this water. And it's this water that we take upon ourselves and remember in our own baptism that this is part of His plan to save us. Here's what the Scripture says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. The Lord must build our house. Here's what it says in Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer, notice this, will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. That's a day to look forward to. A day when there will be no more sea. No more tumultuous, troubled times. We live in troubled times. We're joined with other generations who have lived in troubled times. But that will come to an end. Evil will cease one day. Until He comes back, however, we, our job, along with God's work, is to push back the evil. To expose the darkness by being light, to show forth a path that is narrow, yes, but the true path, the right way. And so this is what God has called us to do. This is what He Himself has set up His foundations to do. Now notice, as we move into chapter, uh, to verse 3 here of 24, so He asks a question. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in His holy place? Now what He's talking about, of course is Zion. 
the city of God, Jerusalem. This is actually more than likely a liturgical psalm, meaning it was used as part of a certain season within the church. Just like we have certain seasons where we, you know, the, the scenery will change next week. You know, we're going to have a time, you can see uh, in your reminders on your bulletin, that we're going to come in here on Saturday and set up for Advent to make the place look and feel different. Why? Because we're changing seasons. That's why. There's a seasonal shift. In the same way, the Jews had the same sorts of season shifts. They had certain celebrations that were doing certain things that were meant to remind them of certain things. And now as they approach the city of God, they're asked a question. Who can actually approach? Who can ascend? Who can stand? It's only those who have clean hands and a pure heart. What have you done this week with your hands? You you just look at them and think about, as you look at the wrinkles and even... Parts of my hand that need lotion from, from just the cold, maybe scars, bumps and bruises. I have a, a splinter hole from helping somebody move yesterday. Uh, you know, what have your hands done this week? He connects the hands to the heart. And truly, our head is also connected to this thing. So what we must do as Christians, as believers, as brothers and sisters, is we must move this stuff that we know is right, that we know we should be about. We have to move it from the head to the heart to the hands. It's got to translate in that way. If it never gets down to the hands, do we really believe it? Oftentimes I ask my students this question, if you really thought this place was on fire, if I told you it's not, by the way, But if I told you this place was on fire, you wouldn't just sit there and say, oh, thanks a lot for the info. I I believe that. And just continue to sit here and roast. You wouldn't do that. If you honestly believed it, what would you do? You'd get up. You'd start turning knobs to get out. It would move from your heart to your head to your hands. We must allow the Christian faith to do that. It's not enough to be sympathetic. It's not enough. It's not enough to, in your head, care about the poor. People say, yeah, I'm a very giving person. I really am. I'm just, you know, describe yourself. I'm a very giving person. Let's see your checkbook. Are you? It's going to tell the truth. Let me talk to your wife, your husband. Are you a giving person? Let's talk to your cousin. The people around you may tell a different story than what's in your head. We've got to allow the Holy Spirit to prompt us, and we then must do it. We must obey. It's a dangerous thing to continue to disobey when we know we should be doing something. There's a, uh, there's a, there's a, a story I read. Um, actually, here's the quote. It is a fact that every time we feel a generous impulse without taking action, we become less likely ever to take action. In a sense, it is true to say that we have no right to feel sympathy unless we at least attempt to put that sympathy into action. Now, we live in a world, let me tell you, who they'll put Facebook stuff up that they care but their actions don't follow. 
spout off at the mouth. That we all know the problems. We can all sit around for days and loathe the problems. We're very good at identifying the problems. Seeing the log in someone else's eye or even in our own nation's eye. But if we don't ever turn that around to doing something, we've simply blown hot air into the world. We must do something. We must put our hand... The the ones who can approach God's holy place are those who have clean hands and a pure heart. They know the Lord because, notice what happens next, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. One time at a dinner table, a famous movie actor got up and recited the 23rd Psalm, the one we just talked about, at the beginning of the dinner, and as a sort of sort of pious introduction. And when the dinner was over, somebody there at the table uh, asked an elderly gentleman there to recite it uh, as well. And he was a retired old preacher. And the old preacher got up and recited the psalm. The difference was when the actor finished reciting the psalm, everybody at the table applauded. But when the old preacher got through reciting the psalm, it was quiet. And some of the people were crying. And when they got through, the movie actor going out the door said to the old retired preacher, what power of delivery do you have that you can move these people like that that I can't? And the preacher smiled at him and said, Well, sir, you know the psalm, but I know the shepherd. One of the guys knew it by rote memory. The other knew it in his heart. What's in your heart? Do you know Jesus in your heart? Is it just stuck in your head? Trust me, there are plenty of people who believe that they are saved who have no clue who God is. They've been given a weak gospel. Say a prayer and you're done. Try to do some good things. It's okay. That's not the gospel, folks. Amen. It's not the good news. No, God must be in your heart to overflowing. To where you cannot keep in the joy. Where you can do nothing but love. Nothing but serve others. You say, well, I'm not there yet. Well, most of us may not be there, but that is the goal and nothing less. Nothing less. Do you know Him in your heart? Because He knows you. He loves you. He cares for you. And all we have to do is cry to Him. It's it's really just as simple as that. We just turn to Him. You know, the the human heart can be an idol-making factory. We just, we'll make an idol of anything, whether it's TV or food or our job or status, being right. There's all kind of gods that we bow down and worship that we create in our life that become ultimate. And we must crush them. We must allow God's Spirit to crush them. Notice, don't lift your soul up to what is false. To what is not going to last, but rather the truth. 
Notice there's a promise given. He will receive a blessing when this happens. Verse 5. And in verse 6, such is the generation of those who seek Him. Who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Do you know what face is in Hebrew? Is presence. His presence is His face. Do you, do you seek the presence of God in your life? How long has it been since you know that you were in His face? Saw His face in His presence? Our joy is everlasting. Have you experienced that? If not, you can. It's the good news this morning is we can start now. It's never too late. It's never too late. You know, the, the thief on the cross is always a point of, of contact for many. You know, one, we, we, have, we focus on Him because in the very last moment, He turns to Jesus and Jesus says, I'll see you in paradise today. We oftentimes, however, forget there were two thieves. The other does not cry out to Jesus and therefore is not saved. All we have to do is cry out, and He's there. Notice, lift up, He gets very poetical here. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? It's the Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Do we need some battles to be won by Christ in our life? Some of us may be in a very tough place right now. The only one who can truly help in an eternal way, in a lasting way, is Christ. He is the victor over this world. He's overcome the world. Haven't you heard? Be of good cheer. He's overcome the world. What in the world could hold us down from His joy today? Not even death itself. Not even our circumstance itself. If we're willing to look up, look to Him, look into His face. Again, He recites it again. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come. Who is this King of glory? It's the Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. <clears throat> I wonder if, uh, if today shouldn't be for you, and this is something God has been speaking to me about, and so I'm just going to be transparent. I wonder if, if it's the same for you. It's sometimes we just simply need to get back down to the basics. Get back down to what really actually matters. I mean, because, you know, in, in life we accumulate a lot. You know, it just over the, over the, I mean, just like my garage, just somehow is like a magnet for accumulating junk. I don't know how it happens. I have the thing pristinely cleaned, and within a week there's just junk everywhere. I can't even park in there anymore. And I gotta go do it again. Some of our lives are like that, isn't it? Just things get attached to it. We get patterns, we get lazy, or we get busy, or whatever it might be. Things just get in our life. And sometimes when you just pull back and say, you know what, we're going to have a garage cleaning. 
We're going to clean this bad boy up and we're going to throw things away. I actually enjoy throwing things away. You know, I, I, I like cleaning out the refrigerator. It's something I actually like to do. I'm like, all right, this done? Okay, good. Boom. Garbage. I like that. I like a clean refrigerator. I like a clean garage. Shouldn't we want a clean heart? Amen. A clean life? Let's just, you know, if, if this is the last day of the church year, and we still have a few more weeks before it's the last day of our year, why don't we start taking some inventory and just simply ask God, Lord, what would you want me to cut out? What would you want me to cut off? What do you want me to, what do you want to help me scrub in my life? Because I'm not going to be able to get some of those stains out. You know, Lord, what, what, what could we put in here to actually better our life? Not just always taking stuff out, but what could we place in here to make it better? You know, a shelf. <laughs> that sometimes helps, doesn't it? Get a new shelf and boom, the thing's already filled up. Well, maybe God wants to build some shelves in your life of reading the Word, of having a time of prayer, of meeting with somebody in the church that encourages you, that can disciple you. You know, we need that in our life. We need those sorts of things to keep us in check. I do. Let's just, as Christians here at the end of the year, begin to take inventory and ask God, what do you want to do with my life this year? I don't want to be in control. I mean, maybe you've, maybe you've been in control all of your life. Of your life. This year you say, you know what? I really want to seek God's face on what He wants me to do. Just ask Him. You'd be surprised. Just ask Him and the doors will come open. There'll be thoughts that hit your mind from the Spirit. There'll be promptings. What we call sort of impressions of the heart. You ever felt those before where you just feel really impressed to say something or to do something? Say yes to the Spirit. There's a song that, uh, that I love the way the lyrics say this. It says, In my life be lifted high. In our world be lifted high. In our love be lifted high. I called you and you answered. And you came to my rescue and I want to be where you are. Has God come to your rescue in your life? Do you have that point where He has rescued you? I asked uh, Jesse just yesterday and he shared with me his testimony. And testimony is always something personal. But they're real. You know it more than anybody else. You can't deny it. You can't cover it up. God has worked in your life. Remember that. Let that inform this next year. Pray for those sorts of meetings with God where He delivers you with great power. Did you not hear? He is that King of glory. This is His kingdom. It's not our kingdom. This is, this is His world. It's not truly the enemy's. The enemy's just sort of acting like the witch does in uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Chronicles of Narnia. She's acting like she's in control, but when Aslan comes around, everything starts melting away, doesn't it? Isn't that what's going to happen? The bad stuff is going to literally melt away, and there'll be only Christ. Do you know Him? Do you love Him? Is He in your heart in a way that translates out 
into your hands, into your actions. Look, you got a new year coming up. Maybe some bad things happened this year. Maybe you weren't who you wanted to be this year. Maybe God's given you a vision of what you are to be. Let's do that together. Let's covenant together. Right here on this Christ the King. Let's let Him be King of our life. Let's do that as a church family. Let's pray that for our children. Let's pray that for each other. And just see what God does. I I promise you, He'll do amazing things. Things that you'll run report. You won't be able to hold it in. You ever notice when something amazing happens? Maybe you saw an amazing play in football and you just can't wait to tell your buddy. Or maybe something amazing happened in your life. You just cannot wait to tell... That's what we're talking about here is when God does the work. You don't have to work up the emotions. You don't have to fake it. Please don't. It's dangerous to do that for a long period of time. It's okay to fake stuff for a little while. That's just being courteous. (laughs) But over a long period of time, you fake it and you'll become false. Let's be this year who God has called us to be. He's the one who called us after all. And here's what Paul tells us in Thessalonians. If He has called us, He will surely do it. He's faithful to do it. You believe that? I do. I've seen Him do it before in you. I've seen Him do it before in my own life, in our family life. He is faithful. Let's match that faithfulness with faithfulness. Let us have faith in the One who is the King of the universe. Because one day He's going to come back on those clouds that we read about a moment ago and He's going to call His own. And the only ones who will hear that call are the ones who are His. His sheep. Amen.